Hey. <laughs> I said I want you to speak first. That's not quite the dramatic experience I had in mind. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> this is Gritty Reboot. And already, the show's off the rails! <laughs> oh, so this week, <laughs> we are going to finish up Suspiria. Yeah. That's what we have in store for, for you guys this week. Uh, we're taking a look at Luca Guadagnino's 2019, <laughs> 2019, 2018. Right? 2018. God, I always think it's a later movie than that. But uh, I, I, I don't know why. I kept thinking this was a pandemic era movie, and it wasn't. Mm-mm. It was made pre-pandemic, and I had that misconception, like when I watched it, you know, because I just, I just waited to, to watch this movie. But yeah, that, that's what we have in store this week. And I, I, this one's going to be an interesting one because you and I have, have very different feelings about this movie. Yeah. How did you, did you see it before we watched this movie? I had not seen it before. Yeah, I hadn't either. This was my first. Yeah, I, I had a love for the original and I understood this one was divisive. And I was like, we'll get to it one day. And then when we were going to do a reboot show and I was like, well, we'll get to this one day and I'll, I'll make that the first time that, that I, I watched it. And spoiler, I, I did love the movie. And well, I really, really liked it, I should say, just a little bit of love. And, and you were not as no, enamored. No, You were not as enamored. There were scenes that I liked. There were, I liked that it focused more on the dance. Yeah. Um, even though it's modern dance, it's a little different, yeah. but it's still dance and it was well choreographed and. Mo- modern dance for 1977. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was well done. There were some good numbers. The year the original was released, by the way. Mm-hmm. So this movie, both films take place in 77, but only once a period piece. Yeah. Interesting. A little odd, the connection to that, to that movie. But uh, with that being said, before we get into it, one thing I do want to mention is uh, our social media. First of all, it's a gritty reboot cast at gmail.com. That's the most 90s way for you to get a hold of us. You can just shoot that over the information super highway to ask us any question you might have. And Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any. Oh, man, you finished drinking super quick on that. <laughs> Fuck social media. Uh, but the show does have social media, so don't fuck it on that. Uh, that's Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. And you can also find me, uh, Illusionist13, at uh, Twitter. And I'm going to say Twitter. And I'm not going to do the X formerly known as Twitter. Because every time that occurs, I feel like that's a disservice to Prince. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone else ever been known as a formerly something? Because no. every time I hear that, I think Prince. Yeah, he's the only one. That was one of my favorite things as a kid that I just didn't understand. Like, I knew there were a lot of jokes about it, but I didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things that like, what is this prince person? There's <laughs> a symbol he's formerly known as. Yeah, I didn't get it either. Yeah, it wasn't until I was much, much older that I, I really got into Prince and I, well, I mean, not, I mean, Prince is not for kids, so I, I understood. But, you know, you just sort of get the idea of something. And that's sort of something I always think is real interesting in the culture. Like, you just go to an idea of something that's happened culturally just from parodies and the jokes on late night or sketch shows, which is less prevalent today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're going to get more like TikTok parodies. You're going to get like SNL skits that hit the zeitgeist, right? Yeah. I think SNL's dying. Well, yeah. I mean, people said that for, for a long time and I think there's still a place for it in a world of shorter media, but you know, SNL still is what it is. It's still a bit, still a bit of a dinosaur, you know? beginning she gave me things perfect balance perfect sleep she wants to get inside of me i can feel her she can see me when you dance the dance of another 
You make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The template's incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide. What is it you want to be for this company? There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. dangerous people. Three mothers, three God, three devil. Mother Tenebrarum, Mother Lacrimarum, and Mother Suspiriorum. Darkness, tears, <laughs> and sighs. Why do you hate Luca Guardini? Kind of I don't. Okay. I just think his movies suck. <laughs> we disagree, but this is... Well, I guess I'll say it before we start getting into like the plot synopsis or anything like that. Is This is what I want from a remake or a reboot. It's something completely different. It's and that is... The, the main thing I want you to know is when we recap the movies, I talk about every scene. It's just how refreshing the movie really was to me because this movie was taking elements of some of the scenes and some things that were talked about in the original movie and really expanding them in very different ways to make a different kind of horror movie. And this is definitely what I want to see more than just retreads. Now, I don't think this film is successful in every venue, but I would love to see this level of creativity taken to any other kind of reboot. And not just horror movies, but just film in general. Because a lot of remakes are like The Omen. You know, they Mm -hmm. stick pretty close to what was there before. Or, you know, a cheap cash-in. And this was a real artistic expression. You didn't like it, but I think you could even admit that. It was very artistic. Yeah, these were artists at work making something that was different. Yeah. That very much wasn't what you'd find in a multiplex. I think this film is a true honor to the name Suspiria and the work Dario Argento does as an artist as well. Very different. I would argue that the movie didn't need to get made. There's only one Dario Argento that could have made this movie, and he did it. And I just don't think that the movie should have been made. Like, the movie barely walks beside the movie, mm-hmm. the, the original. Yeah. I agreed with how you felt pretty much until I saw it, and I understood that he had a vision for what he wanted to do with a story similar to Suspiria. And so I, I have no problem with the movie's existence in, in that respect, and I think he made a worthwhile venture of it. Yes, I thought it was foolhardy in the beginning, but he certainly chose not to match Dario Argento on style and color, but to do something very different. Darker. Dark, very drab. Very mm-hmm. drab film. Mm-hmm. He still had some nice shots, though. I think so, too. Well, let's get into it. How's the movie start? A woman gets around some protests and goes to a, a therapist's house. Her therapist's house. Yeah, her therapist's house. Just a therapist. She just wanders in some guy's mm-hmm. house. Well, in the beginning, it's not clear. It's not clear. We have no, no idea who anyone is. The yeah. film's out of focus. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is me dogging Meredith's notes because Meredith takes meticulous notes during the movie. And because of that, we can't like turn off the lights, which I'd love to do when we watch a movie. We have to have aunts you can you can take notes. And one of my favorite things is just your scribbles or your interpretation of scenes. Mm. Let's continue on. This blurry picture has begun. It's it's coming to focus. <laughs> and a young a one Miss Chloe Grace Moretz. Yes, she's uh, the woman. We only see here. Yep. And she's she's talking about witches. 
She's talking about witches. Literally, the plot of the movie is just thrown right out at us. Yes, the first five just minutes. thrown up on. Yeah, it really, it's just thrown. And, and did you notice anything about this therapist character? Um, he's not the same guy as the therapist character in the end of the movie. Well, no, but this this therapist is not a dude. Oh, yeah, this therapist is one of the many roles played by Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't notice. Yeah, because I first heard his voice, I felt something was a little weird about it, and it wasn't until um my first bit of research that I was like, well, I knew something was off about this character and the way he was portrayed, but it is Tilda Swinton in in, in a one triple role, and obviously we'll we'll talk about each role as they pop up. Well, clearly. Grace Moretz is uh, acting a little crazy. Very much she's so. Raving about singing. These she's raving about witches. Yeah. She's um, writhing around. Writhing. Yes. That's a weird word. Well, I, writhing around. She was writhing. Yeah. Anyways. She writhed sexily. No, I, nobody said that. She, she you added that. that. I added that. Yeah. Yeah. The Chloe Grace Moretz is not sexy to me. <laughs> But I just like that word writhe. Every time I, I read that, I always think like bad erotic literature. The therapist draws the curtains and she talks to him about her urine, hair, and eyes. And she hears voices. Then she leaves suddenly. I and think she takes she runs out of the movie entirely. I think they're speaking German. So that's where you learned that we're in Germany. Yeah, that we are in Germany in 1977. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, 1977, your Star Wars came out. That's the only thing I know about the year 1977. Besides that, and Suspiria came out. You hear wheezing. And then you see different shots of women and a woman in bed getting washed. So you see, like, it's obviously in the past. Yeah. And you see this woman that's sick and she's being tended to by these other women. Yeah. You can, you can see there is going to be a bit more of a focus on, like, the protocol of how this coven works. Mm-hmm. That's a very different thing. Because we only catch a little glimpse of that in the very end of the first film. It's not important at all. But this movie is almost about the political structure of the witches. Mm-hmm. We still hear the wheezing, and we are greeted by another woman, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, D- Dakota Johnson, uh, a Nepo baby. But I do like Dakota Johnson. I have always been a fan of her work, weirdly enough. And I think the first time I saw her, I, I went in really going to despise her, which was the Fifty Shades of Grey film. Oh, yeah. And I, I liked her in it, even though I didn't really like the film. <laughs> I guess if, we're, if I put it mildly, I didn't care for the picture. I didn't either. But I've seen her in other things since then. And every time she shows up, I've always liked her performance. And I'm kind of surprised by that. You know how much I, I, I sort of have a, a resistance to Nepo babies, even though I love Jamie Lee Curtis. But even with that being said, I, I have always found a way to enjoy her work. And uh, this is no exception. She's very, very good here. She drops a Berlin travel guide while she's walking in the streets. And she's in the rain looking for something. She goes into a building and talks with a Mrs. Tanner. She appears to be at a dance academy. So she just stumbled upon the place that she needs to be at. Yeah, see, this is more of a, of a mystical thing in this movie. Because in the other one, Susie Banyan just is, I guess, invited. Yeah. You know, she just applies to go there and everything works out normally. They, they don't, Susie's just an American girl to the people in Suspiria 77. In, in this movie, there, there is something of more, a mystical nature of her just sort of yeah. her destiny to get there. Yeah. She has an audition, and it's a pretty cool audition. She has it with Mrs. Blanc. Well, actually, she kind of stumbles into the room. We have Miss Blanc, and this is also played by Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. And this is the primary role of of which she is going to play in the film, is is Miss Blanc. And as always, Tilda Swinton's amazing in in everything here. But yeah, she stumbles into here because she sees how the, the audition is going. And 
She is really setting the tone for what an incredible dancer she is. She starts dancing and it's a quick cut to other dancers and we're back with her. Ooh, Tilda Swinton looks to be an instructor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she, like I said, she's running the dance academy and you know, the way the whole scene is done, I think I'm going to reference an odd film here, but uh, bring it on. I listened to the commentary track years ago and the director said, one of the things that's difficult about when you make a dance movie is you have to show off what makes a good dancer a good dancer. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, then you know it's all kind of meaningless. And he mentioned that because there's a scene in there where they steal a routine or they get like a routine that's just been sold all over the state and it's really shitty. And he wanted to make a great example to show how shitty it was so you can show off what a great routine looks like. And it's a very similar thing with dance. And this movie does a really fantastic job of selling her as as a... As a top dancer. Yeah, a very unique and passionate dancer. Raw, but passionate. Dakota Johnson trained for two years. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. She, this movie? she was in fantastic shape. She you know. was in dance shape. Yeah, she, and that, you know, she looked body appropriate or anything yeah. like that. So Also, another film that I thought of a lot was Black Swan. And Natalie Portman was very, very similar. Same thing with Mila Kunis. Mm-hmm. They were in fantastic dancer shape. You know, that helps really sell, I think, the role. And obviously, they move perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, and I thought Dakota, you know, whatever was her or stunt double, I couldn't particularly tell. So yeah, no, it was really her dance double. Really I enjoyed this this part of it. Yeah, the dance. It's a good dance horror movie. Yeah, along with with Black Swan. One of the ladies talks about a tragedy with Patricia, and it's kind of made evident that Dakota Johnson is taking her place. This Patricia. Yeah. This mysterious Patricia. Yeah. So now, now that Patricia has gone away, that, that's sort of the weird thing that this girl has shown up in perfect harmony to replace her. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Sarah's talking about the war and the Nazis. This movie's narrative is a little disjointed at this point. So one of the things I think this movie has that a lot of other movies don't is that it wants to push these historical events into your face mm-hmm. and talk about where they relate to the horror in this movie and where things were in the world at this time. So it paints a more realistic picture for you. But it asks you to draw comparisons to these real-life events that did occur. Mm -hmm. And I think we gave Juon Origins a very good mark for doing this. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, I would say it's just one thing too many. Yeah. Like, I I think some of the historical allegory in the film that they try to kind of push down your throat. It's pretentious. Well, well, interesting. Well, you could say that. but And that's not a bad word for it. I I think I don't have a problem with a filmmaker shooting to the moon and missing. I I really don't. And that's a lot of what's going on here. Well, not a lot, but I think some of those things are. And and that's one of those elements. But yes, the movie does talk about history around that time and things that are happening in Germany as well around that time. I had a hard time following what was going on. Yes. I mean, this isn't exactly, this is a movie you might want to watch a second time if you didn't care for it the first time. It's hard to digest. Yeah. This is a near three hour movie, right? Mm -hmm. This is a big, a big watch and, and maybe a tough ask for a viewer, but it, it does ask more than you pay attention. I think it does benefit from a second viewing. And then the the powers that be in this movie are glad that they sent Sarah to get Dakota Johnson. They talk about it constantly, about how glad they are that Sarah is the one that brought the American girl to meet, to meet, to, to the dance studio. Yeah, yeah. This is something they're oddly stoked about. Mm-hmm. We're with the therapist now, and he's walking around in the city, not quite sure of his destination. At least it's not very clear. Sarah shows DJ around to her room. I sorry, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, I was like DJ, the rock show. <laughs> no, DJ Dwayne Johnson. I got tired of writing Dakota Johnson. Apparently, <laughs> do you smell what Mother Superiorium is cooking? All right, let's go on. Madame Blanc says good morning to all the dancers and introduces herself and everyone to Dakota Johnson. Yeah, this is a scene that actually has quite a bit of energy to it because they're. This is where she does the dance mm-hmm. audition for the main part, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I was making sure I was going to talk about the this happened before. I think last week I talked about a scene that you weren't getting into. But what I love about this sequence is that it's almost like a meeting of destiny, you know? Like she is supposed to be at this moment, supposed to fill this spot. And none of these witches seem think anything strange about that. Yeah. They're just like, oh, wow, what, like part of the prophecy or something like that. Just divine intervention, I suppose, is how they look at it. But she goes out there, and even though she is told that this part is incredibly complex that she's going to have to fill in for, Mm -hmm. she just goes out there and nails it, right? Yeah, like Childa Swinton, Madame Blanc, she's just like, (laughs) that's cute, sweetheart, sweetheart, but, you know, yeah, it's taken these girls years to master just the side parts. Yeah, so then that's what she's saying. He's like, "You want to try the lead? That's that's impossible." Yeah, and she's like, "I'm a fast learner." Okay, and then she tries it and just nails it. it she it does. Wow's everybody like Tilda Swinton is like creaming herself, looking at how great a dancer she is. And then we have Olga who comes Olga. to to the foreground. She's upset that Patricia is gone. She screams. She's out of the. I don't know why I wrote that. She's out of this box of rabies. Yeah, read your own handwriting. So she's in this box, and it's full of rabies. And she forces her way out of it and jumps on Dakota Johnson's back, and they ride out of Germany together. I must I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. You, you were drunk when you wrote that note. <laughs> we do not drink while we watch the movie. Maybe a beer, but we don't, we don't drink. Madame Blanc asks for volunteers of the main part, and Susie volunteers. She's seen it a million times. She, she starts to dance, but Blanc has her stop and then touches her all weird. Tilda Swin's acting all weird at this point. Yeah, it's yeah, easy. yeah. So I guess blessing her in a way. Yeah, like you, you're sort of led to believe that she in, gives her this power to do the dance from mm-hmm. this point. Because a little bit like the original movie, some things aren't 100% clear. Yeah, no. And because this leads us into, I think, one of the freakiest body horror scenes yeah, I believe uh, that, well, we, that I've really ever seen, and I've I've seen a lot of body horror my time. Olga's eyes start watering. Yeah, she races down the stairs and ends up in a hall of mirrors, and she's trapped. So she's just in this area where she's surrounded by mirrors. Yeah, and and you have these two sequences cut together, and what these two sequences are: Dakota Johnson fulfilling this part, doing this dance, hitting every step perfectly. Mm-hmm. And as she performs this beautifully, on the other side, there's this grotesque imagery of Olga slowly being deformed and ripped apart, her own body just shifting in these grotesque and horrible motions. She's being whipped around like a rag doll, and Susie dances, and her bones are being twisted and broken. She ends up all twisted up and bloody. Susie, Susie collapses, and it's sent to her room to rest after the performance, and Olga is just a pile of bones. And, and the brutality of it is like she's she's broken completely and she's not even dead. No, the they wi- come in there the and they just come in with big old hooks. hooks. Yeah. And they hook her like a piece of meat, like Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre and drag her out of there because we'll need her later. Yeah. yeah. So she she goes away for now. But I can't undersell like what a, a horrific gripping scene this is. Luca Guadagnino is not a horror director. And I think that's fantastic. Call Me By Your Name is probably what he's most known for. Another brilliant film. And there's a, I mean, he has a ton of, of fantastic work. So to see a, a non-genre director come in here and try to make a genre picture like this and bring his sensibilities to it, to me, is, is immensely fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, like if Scorsese wanted to make a slasher movie, I'd be like, ooh, you know, like how would that turn out? And, and this is one of those instances. But this is a, a really fantastic sequence of body horror where it almost turns your stomach to see the things that happen to her. 
And the way it's done is, is great because she's just a contortionist. And so it's mostly practical. Yeah, I like the scene when it's, it's kind of spliced it's, in it's, with it's, the dancing. It's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. It's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. And uh, it gets close to a kind of horror that Dario Argento couldn't fathom. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, so, yeah. Mrs. Tanner and Madame Blanc are all talking about Susie and her talents. Basically, they bring her to Blanc's room, and Susie speaks about her admiration for Madame Blanc. So she's seen her dance millions of times. She's really in awe of her. Yeah, she's like a super fan is sort of what she's trying to imply here. Mm-hmm. They talk some more. She tells her she wants her to dance at the as a protagonist in Volk. Sarah talks about Patricia to Susie. It's true what Olga said about Patricia. We get some weird images strewn together introducing us to Act 3. Yeah, yeah, there's a little, little we get act. titles for each act break, basically. Yeah. This is the first time I wrote it down, Act 3. I don't know why. Well, I don't think you realize they were going to be throughout the movie. I guess not. Yeah, well, I guess it would make sense they'd be throughout the movie. It'd be weird they just stop. Yeah, no. Well, I don't know, Spiria has a narrator that's in there for one line, and he's like, I'm out! Yeah. yeah easiest narration job ever. The police come. We get a scene where the police come to question Madame Blanc about Patricia. And they also ask questions about a Marcos. Yeah. This is the first time we hear the, the name of uh, Helena Marcos. Well, actually, it, we did skip it in the beginning. There was the vote, right? Mm-hmm. It was a voting scene. And that comes into play a little bit later. But that's the first time we hear the name where the witches sort of get together and they have a, a silent vote for who will take over their community or who will be in charge of the community. Madame Blanc loses to Helena Marcos. Sarah and Susie sneak around. They go into an office looking for Patricia's file. Or Olga's file. Yeah, we've gone all this way and just haven't talked about Mia Goth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mia Goth. She's in this. I love Mia Goth. She's Sarah in this movie. Like, I have, like, a new favorite actress. And, like, she's one of those now who I have, like, one of those people that I see in a movie, like, oh, Mia Goth's in this. I saw Infinity Pool uh, because of that, because Mia Goth was was in it. And this one of the things that I I was stoked for. Uh, She's great here, uh, as well as, I mean, really, everybody in the cast is really fantastic. But she has really good chemistry with Dakota Johnson. Mm-hmm. She really does. Susie, her character name. We're, we're going to call Dakota Johnson who she is. Yeah, we can call her Susie. The spawn of Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. Yeah, it's so obvious. Yeah, she looks like yeah, she looks like both those motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susie hears laughter, and it's a bunch of women, and they're laughing at all the detectives. They're standing completely still. The cops, the detectives, they've got like, they're under a spell of some sort. Yeah, yeah. And they they've the witches have stripped them naked and they're like making fun of their junk and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of a goofy sequence here. It's a here. weird scene. Yeah, but like I said, the, the movie just does sort of strange things like that. It keeps you on your toes. You don't really know what's coming next in each scene. It doesn't necessarily have to be horror. I think a scene of comedy could be just just as effective here. We're with Madame Blanc and her dancers, and then Tanner and Blanc talk about Helena Marcos wanting to see Susie. So they're a little nervous about that. Yeah, because Madame Blanc believes that Susie actually has some potential. She Because here's the, the issue between those two women, is that Madame Blanc has a dance academy to run. Mm-hmm. And Helena Marcos is like, bitch, we're about getting girls and eating them. Or whatever it is they do with them, right? Just to drain their powers yeah. or sacrifice them or whatever it is. She's like, the, the dance academy is whatever. She's like, the dance academy will pay the bills, Marcos. And that is sort of what, I mean, it's a simple, I'm breaking it down very simply, but that is really what the issue is between these women. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing she doesn't want is she thinks that Susie really has that potential to be a great dancer for them and really just has potential to grow as a dancer. She wants to see that develop because she does care about dance. Elena Marcos only cares about the coven, mm-hmm. you know? So there, there's other, other things to keep in play as well. 
And this is when we get Madame Blanc talking about being upset that she's not in charge. Yeah, that all the women are around talking together about Susie and sending her dreams. Yeah, and also in one of those sequences where Madame Blanc talks about that, we do get the first mention that Helena Marcos may not be the mother superior. Yeah. Superior. And I think that's the interesting plot line to talk about because it's only a fan theory from the original. Yeah. I know. This is where they lose me. This mother superiorium bullshit. What? This is all good stuff. I like Ugh. this. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, no, they totally lost me. Oh, man. I, I, I love how the movie ends. But let's go. Let's keep on. We got, we, got, we got a ways to go. We get more weird imagery. I'm not sure the point of this movie at this point. It's not very clear. Well, just get images and like dance scenes. Yeah, and I do think there there's some unsettling imagery sometimes in these, and I, I think it helps set a general mood for the film. I do like how some of these are done. Like, not not everything has to be literal in a movie. Like, I, <laughs> I know that can kind of suck for like, what do you mean? For, uh, that can kind of suck for some people, but you, it doesn't always have to be a hundred percent on the nose or or you know, an apples and apple. Sometimes you could you can just show things artistically. And I think that's something that this movie does. But I think you sort of would come in knowing this is going to be a bit more of an artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't necessarily have an issue with it. Even though the movie does have a two and a half hour runtime, I feel it has a lot of story, which it crams in pretty pretty well into its runtime. Susie has a nightmare and Sarah goes to her aid. They sleep together and spoon for comfort. So they've developed a really nice relationship together. I'd spoon with me a goth as well. I bet you would. But you would. Therapist asks. Asked- Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> The therapist asked the detectives if they've spoke to Marcos and what they found out, but they were not very helpful. So this is the, the waste of time in the movie is with the therapist, really. Yeah. This is where I'll give you the criticism that, and I understand that there's some, I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Like what, what, what he's trying to accomplish in the movie and, and how it relates to the story. But I, I think this leads to a lot more talk about the Holocaust and history. Yeah. And those are things that slow the movie down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, his storyline is ultimately sort of unresolved and a bit unfulfilling. So I think that's a bit disappointing in it. I think cutting him down a little bit probably would have helped and certainly would have eased the runtime. So We're back with Madame Blanc and the dancers, and she's trying to get Susie to learn how to jump correctly. Yeah, this is a scene where she's like, you're not attached to the ground. And it's, a, it's kind of an interesting scene about like trying her to dress her biggest weakness, yeah. trying to get her to leave the ground and jump. And we spend a lot of time watching her drill and jump, jump, jump. And you see Susie's determination. Mm-hmm. To be better. Yeah. To be the best. Uh, one of the girls has a seizure. It's Caroline, the one Blanc has helping Susie with her jumps. So it's it's kind of like they're saying that Susie's like zapped power from her of some sort. Yeah, it's the first time they kind of imply that. Yeah, that she's got what they want for the coven. The therapist comes to visit, and Sarah has a as a friend of Patricia. Therapist girl gives Sarah. Patricia's journal, and it's all about witches. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about notes in the previous movie that they were mentioned and nothing's ever seen or done on them. Basically, anything the first film kind of mentioned gets expanded upon in this movie. Yeah. And that was the idea. Like, he was going to make a Suspiria that was all about plot as opposed to style. And like I said, I I found that intriguing. You didn't. But this is another element of that. We get a little bit more information about these witches, even though we have a lot of information about them. We've had a lot of information. (laughs) We know a lot about this coming. Yes. Blanc tells Susie to, she talks with Susie in the Hall of Mirrors where the Olga died. She says she wants to be the company's hands and she works on her jumps. 
a bunch of women are around eating dinner, and one of them, yeah, (laughs) four hundred women all eating from a trough. (laughs) Well, all the girls in the academy, all the girls in the academy, they're all eating dinner. They're eating dinner together. Yes, being merry, being merry. All of them named Mary. And then one of them just stabs herself in the neck, killing herself. As is wont to do at Dance Academy. <laughs> they were all having fun. And then all of a sudden, it just divulges. Yeah, we had the, uh, the banality of reality just interrupted by this fantastical bit of violence. Yeah. And it was striking, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely striking and shocking. There's another scene that just sort of sticks to I think the way he covers it is fantastic. At this point in the movie, I mentioned that the movie is very dark. It's dark. You can see hardly anything. Yeah, the movie is dark, yeah. We could have benefited from the lights being out. Yeah, we could have. But damn. Yeah, no, the movie movie does have an incredibly dark, but we watched this, obviously this is via Amazon 4K HDR. So, yeah, we watched it about as well as we could, but even then I noticed this was very much in the tone. Yeah, we had our projector at... Max brightness and everything. Yeah, it very much was dark. But you you did have a light on, which you'd love to do. I have to have it. I have to have it to notes. I don't write my notes. I'll never know nothing about no movies. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> I need my notes. All right. Continue on. I can't tell who, but somebody is moving through I the halls. <laughs> counting steps. <laughs> and then you discover it's Sarah. She finds a hidden door. There's nothing but darkness. She goes down some stairs and she finds a door with a bunch of women chanting. Yeah, so this is very. This is like another play on basically the scene in the in the original film where this occurs as well. We have a, a direct parallel, basically, mm-hmm. which is her escaping and going deeper. Well, not escaping, but escaping her room and then going deeper into the academy to see yeah. what makes it tick. And instead of getting the sort of fever dream sequence chased by you know a giallo killer, yeah, you know, we have this where she goes down there and finds the coven. Yeah, she finds the witches doing witchy shit. I think that's a technical term, witchy shit. And then Sarah goes to visit the therapist again. They talk of witches again. She brings out one of the books she found. Oh, she brings out one of the hooks that she's found. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I say books. Yeah. The Book of Shadows. She found it from Blair Witch too. He tells her she should get away from that place. Which is good advice. But in in this situation, she's got to be, she's exactly where she needs to be. And then when she goes outside, she sees Mrs. Tanner. She's kind of followed her yeah. to where she was going. So now, now like she is completely aware that everybody at the Academy knows and her days are numbered. Mm-hmm. Tick tock, tick tock. They cut Susie's hair and she hears wheezing. And Sarah talks to Susie, who is acting weird. Susie tells her nothing's wrong. So Susie's kind of under a spell. Yeah, or so we're led to believe at this yeah. point that Susie is under the control. Because once again, nothing is, is kind of explained as in the first movie about like the magic around her. Mm-hmm. But we are sort of left to infer that Mother Superiorum, whoever, you know, Helena Marcos or Madden Block has a sort of hex on her to keep yeah. her straight and in line in this moment. We get Act Five. Act Five. Looks like the dancers are getting ready for a show. Sarah goes snooping around and finds zombie Patricia and another dead girl crawling towards her. Yeah, so th- this is, um, I-, I think, a pretty solid scare she goes to. And now this is dark as well, but the darkness works for it. She goes basically deeper into the facility, and then she finds the zombified versions of them. And sadly, it also, well, she meets a similar fate, because she's not allowed to die. She just can only become a zombified whatever. Yeah. A zombie dancer. All the dancers go to dance. 
they do their performance. Yeah, so we, we have a big show here. And and all the dance sequences in this movie are pretty well put together. Now, this isn't like Step It Up, guys, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This is very much sort of modern a dance. Modern dance. Yeah, and I, it, you know, I, I'm... I'm obviously not a big fan of that at all, but I found the dancing, which is to be incredibly well shot and incredibly engaging. I, I like love it. the dancing in this movie. Anything dealing with dancing in this movie, I highly enjoyed. Yeah, r- really. It's sort of weird to think like Suspiria, the 1977 version, is a film about a dance academy that only features one scene where they dance. Yeah. So, and this movie makes up for it in, in spades. It very much is a dance horror movie. And you never get to see Susie's uh, talent in the first 1977? No, you don't. Yeah, she, she only does her weird... She and she's dazed at that point, so yeah. she's more like swimming through the air. <laughs> Sarah falls and breaks a leg while the other girls dance. I wrote down, I like the dancing as a backdrop to the body horror. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the way he has sort of given us this body horror in this movie is all the way through this dance. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's very intriguing. Like I said, I found most of it disturbing. All the witches come to Sarah and they heal her wounds and make her into a zombie like they did the detectives. Sarah goes to the center of all the dancers and starts dancing. And she's dancing just melodically. Yeah. Perfectly with her healed broken leg in zombie state. So You get some more intense dancing. Sarah drops to the floor and starts screaming. It looks like she broke her leg again. Yeah. Blanc comes to visit Susie. They talk of riddles, basically. They're just, what they're talking about is so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, there is a back and forth between the two of them where they sort of talk about the general themes of the picture, correct? Yeah. And now I find that their dialogue engaged, especially with the way that the movie ends, because looking at it from a different perspective, I like the way that Susie has a position of power, but Madame Blanc doesn't know that yet. Mm -mm. And so this conversation has a completely different tone if we know what happens in about 20 minutes. All the girls go out for drinks. The therapist throws the hook at a bunch of the staff over into the water. What? <laughs> Let me start that over. Yeah. <laughs> we get a shot of the therapist throwing the hook and a bunch of other stuff over into oh, the water. Oh, yeah. He disposes of the, the witch stuff. Yeah. Right? He doesn't want anything to do with it. He feels like it's dangerous, which he's not wrong. And then we have a very loving scene of the therapist reuniting with his daughter but i think it's actually his wife yeah you know who plays the young version right yeah his, the main chick from Suspiria, yeah, jessica 1977 just harper from yeah. So that was a nice touch to throw right there yeah but she, all this she looks great by the yeah way. she does she looks fantastic i thought about that in in like a behind the scenes thing on Suspiria. i saw like from like five or six years ago like damn jessica harper looks good yeah so this is a nice scene but i i really think a lot of the stuff with the therapist is still wasted it's even stupid. though i did like this i yeah. did like this one of the bits of uh, not levity but just <laughs> like a lighter scene in this movie right The therapist is with his daughter near the dance academy, and his daughter disappears, and the witches grab him. Sarah is a zombie, and there's a ritual happening. It looks like Susie's game for whatever Helena Marcos has for her. So we are introduced in this sequence here, while we have all these young witches there, and they're doing their chanting, and they're dancing to Mm -hmm. bring everything. Helena Marcos is also Tilda Swinton in heavy makeup. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton is just chewing scenery as Helena Marcos. Mm-hmm. She's a big, flam, flamboyant kind of hag character, right? Yeah, she's a hag. Yeah, a more traditional version of what we think of as the ugly witch. And she's sort of mocking Madame Blanc in this situation because she knows she doesn't want to sacrifice Susie. Yeah. And once again, this is all, I love everything from this moment out. Um, once this whole sequence begins, like this is all fantastic cinema. It's all right. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, continue on. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I know that upsets you. Well, no, it's just the thing about it is I love the way the sequence builds and I love the reveal. And then I love the aftermath of it. And this film draws to an incredibly bloody and satisfying conclusion that I wish could have been aided by a few more cuts. Marcos kills Blanc by exploding her neck. Marcos tries to convince Susie to join them. And Madame Blanc is almost killed unceremoniously. And I know some people even are curious if she might survive the picture. I, I don't believe so. And then the skeleton woman goes to kiss Marcos and she turns into mush. Yeah, she literally just kind of... Whoosh, whoosh, and then <laughs> everyone away. just starts exploding. And Susie just watches and kind of gets a little pleasure out of it. Well, Susie is revealed to be... You know, early on, we had this question about, is Lena Marcos really the mother superior? Because that's the whole series is about the three mothers. Yeah. And there is some debate about that. And as we see, Helena Marcos begins, wants to begin the process for sacrifice, only to discover that Susie is not who she seems to be. There's a reason that she was good at all these things, that she was where she needed to be, and why she was drawn to the Academy. Because she is the true mother superiorum. Yeah. And she begins to lay waste to the Academy, destroying Helena Marcos, and then bringing judgment to every woman that voted and backed her. By exploding them left and right, bringing her vengeance as the true Mother Superior. Mm -hmm. And this is a thrilling fucking scene. I love everybody in this coven getting their comeuppance. And the way it's shot, there's a horrific beauty to it. This is everything that I want to see in a horror movie. I love this. Susie tears open her chest. Reveal like the beating heart. Yeah. Some of the naked dancers are left writhing and Susie just lets the zombies be dead. And this, this is sexier them. writhing, by the way. Yeah. It's because Chloe Grace Moretz is not involved. The witches let the old therapist go. And then we get the epilogue. Yeah. And there's a good sequence here where she goes to the zombified girls and she asks them what life or death. Yeah. And they all choose to die. Yeah. And she, she sends them all the way peacefully. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's the key. They get to suffer and explode. These girls get to expire peacefully. They yeah. just go to sleep. And you see the, the gentleness of the true Mother Superior. Like she doesn't, not everything has to be a violent, bloody affair. And I like that. I do. There's yeah. a great shade to the character. So this is interesting to me because this is always a, a fan theory on the first movie because that's why Helena Marcos got killed by Susie because yeah. she wasn't the, the one of the mothers. Susie was. Or, but it's just, that's the cool thing about uh, Suspiria 1977 is you can read it in a lot of ways. Here's the epilogue. All the dancers are having nightmares. They wake up and they are all told Madame Blanc has left the company. All the other witches are cleaning up the carnage. Susie goes to visit the therapist. She's talking as the, mo as the mother. She tells him what happened to his wife. She lays her hands on him and says a few things and he seizes up. She wiped his memory. This is a nice scene that helps wrap up this storyline for the therapist. And this is probably the best part about this is how it wraps up and the other scene that we talked about earlier with his wife, daughter. And I think it's a good bookend to put on, on the movie. I wished it would have left at its emotional peak just after the, the sequence with destroying the coven. Yeah. But the epilogue at least does add a little bit of closure onto the film, which I, I think is needed in a movie that is as dark as this one is. I just never liked how disjointed and, and pretentious this movie was. And like I said, I felt that that is what really drew me in, is that this was an incredibly different picture than anything I've really seen in a long time. It had to be. I mean, like you said, they did essentially do a reboot of Suspiria in, the, in their own way, which is very admirable, but I just didn't like it. Um, I thought Dakota Johnson was 
outstanding. She obviously trained hard for this role, and she likes the director. I've heard I've heard her say things about the director before, but uh, the the ending doesn't doesn't blow up my skirt like it does you. Luca Guadagnino is a great director. He really is. And I would always watch a great director miss than a mediocre director make a watchable movie. Like, I will watch this over anything that Paul W.S. Anderson shits out with his wife, you know? I know we just talked about Event Horizon, but, you know, like, that's the way I feel about a movie like this one. Like, even if everything doesn't work in this movie, I want to see an artist at work, and that's what this movie really is. Mm -hmm. It is truly a, a master of his craft director working at his peak, doing something off the wall. And that's that's great. So many filmmakers play it safe because you can't fuck up with a movie and, and make a bomb and then they won't let you do what you want. And he just goes for it. And that's great. That's amazing to see. I wish there was more opportunity like that. Only Christopher Nolan gets to kind of do what he wants. Yeah. We had a conversation the other day where we talked about Scorsese and how he's been battling suits for 20 years to make what he wants. And he talked about The Aviator, almost wanted to walk away from movies after that one. And it's like, if you can't understand that Scorsese knows what he's no. doing and could deliver you a film that's going to make money for years, even after its box office is done and bring your studio prestige, then, you know, there, there are other factors to consider, not just the pure profit of, of a movie at the box office at that moment in time. You know, movies, they're, they're a long game on profit. They really are. You sell them over and over again. And a, a Scorsese movie is always going to have that value. And like an artistic film like this can can have that as well. I always want to see a true artist in this medium getting his chance to do what he wants and excel. And to me, that's what this movie is. Even if it's not perfect, I still kind of love it. I'm going to give it a nine. I give it a five. Okay. And that's fair. Like, it's not for everybody. That's no. the one thing I won't get mad at people if you don't like somebody like, hey, it's not for everybody. You think it's too long? I get it. It's not like the original film. That's a fair critique. But I think if you're willing to open yourself to a different kind of experience, this really is an incredible movie. And I think you can be blown away by it. You'll certainly be perplexed. And uh, you'll definitely be intrigued by the things you see within the runtime. I, I, I recommend it. Just in case you're curious, this movie domestically made about $2.5 Well, like I said, this was a straight-to-Amazon release. So there wasn't much of a box office run. Made more internationally. I'm not surprised. We're Worldwide, it made eight, eight million. Well, that's not awful for a movie. A movie like this. Here's some facts about this movie. Dakota Johnson completed two years of ballet training in preparation for her role in this film. Not surprised. She trained for about a year to achieve the body shape of a dancer. She would spend two hours every day working out. I'm not surprised. She, she certainly had the body to show that off and maintain that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, she certainly had that look where she felt like a dancer. And that, to me, that that's always sort of key, especially in this day and age. You sort of have to look like what you're going to portray. In an interview with Elle magazine, actress Dakota Johnson revealed the intensity of the shoot and, quote, fucked her up so much that she had to go to therapy. I want to stress this a lot. Filmmaking stuff. It really is. You it know, sounds like Guadagnino's a little demanding, too. Yeah, you know, and these directors like this, you know, they they... They can work actors very, very hard to get what they're looking for. And a movie where you're dancing and you have a lot of physical activity like this, you know, it, it can it can really wear and break people down. You know, there's a reason, you know, acting's not an easy job. There's a reason they have breakdowns. The music score is the debut score for Tom York of Radiohead. Yeah, yeah. This movie runs a completely different way from the original film score. 
Yeah. And uh, not progressive rock at all. Tom York is a very much, very more laid back sort of music. Mm -hmm. And I I enjoy his score. I really do. I I like this version of it as well. I I barely noticed it. Yeah. Well, I got a chance to listen to it on Spotify and I I found a lot to really like in the soundtrack as well, but it's not going to, I probably won't play as much as I played the goblins over the years. I love Radiohead too. Yeah, me too. About two months before shooting began, Dakota Johnson and Mia Goth would rehearse their choreography for about six to eight hours a day, and it shows. I'm not surprised. Like I said, everything is really on point with how they dance. Mm -hmm. Last fact I have, and it's about Dario Argento. Mm -hmm. Although Dario Argento gave permission to produce a remake, he was dismissive of the final result in an interview with IndieWire from August 2016. Quote, Either you do it exactly the same way, in which case it's not a remake, it's a copy, which is pointless, or you change things and make another movie. In that case, why call it Suspiria? In 2019, Argento said the film did not excite him. He he betrayed the spirit of the original. There is no fear. There is no music. The film has not satisfied me as much. Yeah, I'm not surprised that a guy with Dario Argento's sensibilities really disliked this movie. It's yeah. not made for a guy with his sensibilities, even though it is based off his original film. I just wanted to see if he wanted his opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad he, he got to see it and he got to pass judgment. And that's fine, you know, hey, you're certainly allowed to dislike a remake of your work. Yeah. All right, so, so Suspiria 2018 got 3.6 user review. Oof. Yeah, people didn't like it. Yeah, I can imagine it's not a real crowd pleaser. Uh, 65% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.7 IMDb. Divisive. Yeah. But I chose a 10-star review, so let's see what this This is. This is my homie. This is my homeboy. Preach it, homie. Welcome to the short list of good horror remakes. Mm. When a a remake of Suspiria 1977 was first announced in the mid-2000s, I bristled at that thought. You can't remake one of the singularly standout artistic visions of the horror genre. You can't run with Dario Gento's style, Luciano Tavoli's cinematography, or Goblin's iconic score. It would be as idiotic as saying some, someone saying, I don't know, they want to do a shot-for-shot shot remake, Psycho, 1960. <laughs> That'll be a word one to cover. When David Gordon Green was on, the director, was on as director, I had little faith, apparently the new Halloween he made proves that. When he left and Lu- Luca Guadagnino came on, my interest was piqued because all the stuff he was saying about where he wanted to take it sounded interesting. He knew he could simply remake the film, so instead he did his own thing. And honestly, the end result is stunning. When the film ended, I just sat there in a kind of awe, amazed at how two filmmakers could have the same material and deliver two wildly different and both excellent takes. What Guadagnino and, sc- and screenwriter David Kajkinich are able to pull from the source material is incredible. There are themes that I don't think even Argento and co-writer Dario Nicolodi even knew that they had in there, such as the idea of motherhood's path in life, the duality of man or woman here, or what an artist here dancers does when they are performing the work of another artist. Fitting them for a remake, Guadagnino wisely decided to walk next to Argento rather than try to fill his shoes and create a companion piece. Full of stunningly beautiful and surreal moments, this goes on the short list of great horror remakes. Anyone that wraps up 2018 for me, as I won't see a better film this year. Well, he really liked it. And I sort of feel very similar to, to, to what he felt about it, is that I'll take that chance with a great filmmaker. And like I said, I, I sort of was blown away. But I'm not quite a 10-star review, but I feel very, very similar about it. Yeah. 
So I'm sorry you didn't like it. It's we don't have to like we don't have to feel the same way about movies all the time. No, but I was I was not surprised that you didn't like this movie. You know, no, it's more of a thinking man's movie. Whatever, anyway. it has nothing to do with you intelligence. Know, sometimes you know you got to watch a wee little closer. You know, you know it's, it's a no big deal. You know, sometimes you know, we can watch Baby's Day Out. You like that Home Alone? Baby's Day Out. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> uh, you okay, weirdo? We watch some Disney movies later for you. It's okay. Disney movies. I hate Disney. You love Disney. I don't. You have Disney Plus? I'm more of a uh, Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera? Yeah. Hey, Barbara. No. I'm more of a, what's that guy's name that I like so much? Bluth. Oh, Bluth. Bluth. Yeah. Don, Don Bluth. Bluth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more Let's of a say Bluth George fan. Bluth, but that's the rest of development. Don Bluth, yeah. They don't have a streaming service for Don Bluth. Things. No, there's not a Don, there's not a Don Bluth Plus. <laughs> there should be. Some of his movies are on Disney Plus, I'm sure. Uh, I, you know what? I will now go through everything and find you every Don Bluth movie on streaming. Beautiful. Just for you. That's my gift to you. Thank you. Merry Merry Christmas. It's not Christmas. Happy Halloween. <laughs> It'll be after Halloween. We'll get this. Yeah. So, yeah. that uh, That's all our horror for this month. Yeah. That's going to wrap up Suspiria. We're going to do a non-horror movie next. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be fun. What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. No one, no one knows. Surprise. Yeah. We got to figure it out. Yeah. Maybe we'll do Goodfellas and My Blue Valentine. What? Goodfellas and My Blue Valentine. Yeah. Why those two? Because the the other movie is based off of the book Henry Hill wrote, the guy from Goodfellas, and it was about him adjusting to society and life. Oh. So technically, that is like a reboot sequel of that movie. Very well. Where Steve Martin plays the role instead of uh, Ray Liotta. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie. It exists. I promise you, it does. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, that that's gonna do it for us with us taking out Suspiria. We are uh, done with Spooky Month, and we'll see you next time, guys. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.